Welcome everyone to Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Megan Cummings-Kruger, and today we're going to discuss the topic of mental health, which is finally being recognized not as a stigma, but as a human issue that we all deal with at some point, either personally or with a loved one. In fact, with global happiness currently being at an all-time low, being able to raise our own sense of well-being is a need for the majority of us right now. So for this conversation, we are very fortunate to have with us Vera Michelle Lewis, who is Vice President of Development and Communications at Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Now, as the name implies, DBSA is a nonprofit focused on providing support to people with depression and bipolar disorder. In this role, she collaborates with senior leadership and the board of directors to create and implement a development plan that guides all aspects of the organization's fundraising strategy. She is also responsible for creating a strategy to build and strengthen partnerships on a national, state, and local level. Prior to this, Vera was Director of Development and Strategic Partnerships for five years at Age Options, a nonprofit that connects older adults with community-based resources and options. Vera began her career in corporate America, working in tea for close to nine years until shifting two roles in the nonprofit world in 2009. Vera received her bachelor's degree in marketing at Loyola University in Chicago and her master's degree from DePaul University. She continues to reside in Chicago, which I imagine is the right place to be when you are a foodie, such as she is, and when not in Chicago. She enjoys traveling internationally again, foodie. And she also shares my enthusiasm for old movies. Vera first joined Mentium as a mentee, and happily for us, she has returned to mentor with us, and she's currently mentoring her second Mentium mentee. Welcome, Vera. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you today. Wonderful. All right, so to begin with, I guess where I really want to start is to thank you for the important work that you do with your nonprofit. And you actually have a really unique perspective on this because in addition to all of your professional experience with mental health, you also recently had to deal with it on a very personal level as the caretaker for your father who had Alzheimer's and then passed away last year. So would you share with us how this intersection of your personal and professional experience with mental health impacted who you are today? Yeah, yes, indeed. I hope my story helps someone else who's listening. I'm sure there are a lot of caregivers uh, on this call, parents, uh, et cetera. Um, One of the things that um, I always like to share is to let people know that they're not alone. Uh, And when you are in the midst of being a caregiver, oftentimes all of your focus goes to them and you forget about yourself. And it's sort of like what they say on the plane, right? Put the mask on first before you try to help someone else. But uh, I wasn't putting the mask on. I was just simply trying to do what was best for my father. As an only child, my mother had passed away from dementia a couple of years earlier. So I really wanted to, there was a, always a level of guilt in terms of wanting to be the person that provided the care for him as his only child. But really, that wasn't the best approach. And so when you think about the fact that people forget that they're not alone, Uh, When you uh, think about the fact that there are millions of people who are affected um, by guilt uh, that that has a direct impact on their own mental health, and 
it starts to translate into other things that you're not conscious of. You're like, why am I not eating? Why am I not sleeping well? Why am I withdrawing? Why am I agitated? And so I had to, and this is the advice I like to give to all of the individuals who are listening or others that they know of, that they see emulating this kind of behavior, that they seek help. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's it's not a time to be, I'm the strong. And that's what, that was what I was doing. I'm the strong black woman. I'm highly educated. I have the money to take care of it. That I was deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And so it was the first time that I had to reach out to a psychologist. And historically, within the black community, there is a resistance to that sometimes because of the stigma within your own uh, culture, your own family. It's some people feel like it's a direct reflection of your whole family. Like, why are you needing to seek professional help? That's for somebody who's really, no, it can be any of us. And so I did, I looked at a couple of things. Uh, When I went to see my psychologist, she asked me a question. She said, when's the last time you've seen a doctor for your physical well-being? I'm handling your mental, but your physical well-being had not done that made an appointment, figured out that I was diabetic, had no idea, which was a whole lifestyle change because that's why I was feeling tired and agitated. Like, you know, I just didn't know what I was, you know, what was, I was, oh, I'll just drink my water and try to take more naps, which no one had time for those things, for napping, of course. <laughs> um, so she said, go see a doctor, got that stuff. And that's how I found out about that, which became a whole different lifestyle of being encouraged to take care of myself. And I did that. And one of the things I said is get moving. I don't care if you get outside and you walk the block, walk around the block two times, just clear your mind of not thinking about your father when you're walking that block, but thinking about yourself and knowing that it's not selfish for you to do so. And then started eating well. You know, I started making my own food. When I would make food for my dad, I always made sure it was healthy. I'm like, well, what about you? You go to the fast food place. Mm-hmm. So it was a real game changer. There was still the guilt of having to realize that I needed to bring in others to help him. We had to move him to an assisted living home. And that was a it was a tough decision. I'm blessed in the fact that he was toward the end of his Alzheimer's. So he didn't truly understand. Like he, if, if he would had his entire mind, he would have felt like I was abandoning him. So that was a change. I did that. He was 24-hour care. So that's why they say it was 24-hour care. You can't be with your father 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. but we can. And make sure he, gets, he eats. He has his rehab. You can come see him anytime. You can come see him as many times in the day as you want to. And so it was a game changer for me to be going to see, talking to a psychiatrist once a week doing the work on me, but also making sure I took care of him at the same time. And I was there with him to the very end. And I felt good about it because I knew I did what was best for him and I did what was best for me. And I know my dad, he would have been really proud of me that he said that you take care of yourself. He would have wanted me to take care of myself. And so that was also a way of honoring him as well to the very end. That's exactly what I was thinking, is that he would have been proud of you, but also he probably would have been happy to know that he inadvertently was the reason you were, it was almost like a absolutely. final gesture, absolutely. right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So 
I know he wasn't, even my mother, my mother would have been saying, it's about time. Yeah. That's my mother. Well, and I imagine that going through all of this now that, it, you know, now that you've had a little distance, you know, and, and so you, you've had time to be taking better care of yourself. You've been, you know, gone through some of the early grief, losing your father, but I imagine there must be, it must've heightened your understanding perhaps, or empathy with the work you were doing with your organization that is supporting people that have depression or the bipolar disorder. Yeah, absolutely. So this opportunity presented itself, literally the interview process was getting ready to start the, the week that my father died. And the CEO of the organization said, we will, hold, we will hold the process because we're extremely interested in you. And we understand what that means, someone's mental health, physical. And so it was like another opportunity to say, okay, you've learned some things. Here's an opportunity for you to, to create, uh, make sure that we have funding for our programs, uh, our outreach, our work that we're doing, our free uh, support groups. They're out there for our caregivers and parents and individuals who are suffering from depression. We have, uh, we have support groups for youth who are facing uh, these challenges at such a young age. Yes. Um, so when I heard about the vision and mission, I said, I'm all over this because <laughs> on, on a personal level, I understand. And then there was a concerted effort to uh, reach out to BIPOC communities, members of the LGBTQA communities, those who sort of were in the shadows and saying, I don't know if I can do this to say, hey, you're not alone. We're here. Yeah. Um, no judgment. Let us provide you with some resources. And we're out in the community. Let people know we're here if you want to see us and sort of talk to someone on the side. I've been thinking about this. We get that a lot. We also have a wonderful, we call them the mood crew, which are characters for little kids. Uh-huh. And we represent all the different moods. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm happy. And on any given day, when they come to you, we'll ask them, so which new crew person are you? And sometimes they say, I'm angry, or sometimes I'm happy, or I'm scared. So we really start that young and work all the way to the other side of the spectrum. And it is some of the most rewarding work. We always encourage people to go to our website, if it's not for them, but for others, we have something called the wellness wheel. Mm. Where you just sort of look and see, where am I at? And, you know, uh, and sometimes people say, I'm fine, I don't need your wellness well. And then after they do it, they're like, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I do need to see, <laughs> maybe I'm not doing well. And so it's, and that's something you do quietly. No doubt, yeah. no one's around. You can just sort of go through that whole process and it's really fantastic. So, you know, based on social isolation and uh, loneliness and all of that, that, that the work is important and um, it's just something that we every day try to figure out how can we reach someone to let them know here's the way that we can be helped. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's something simple and sometimes it's something a little bit more complex, but we're always here to sort of help you navigate. Just such important work. And, you know, It also strikes me along with all the other aspects that right now with all the cumulative stress, of course, Mm -hmm. um, but there's also this pace of life that people don't pause, you know, and think about where they are on the wheel or where they are on that move chart, you know, and and so that's almost as important as to just have them allow themselves to pause and 
get back in touch, right? Get back in touch. You know, we've seen that the statistics increase since people came out of the pandemic. So like, what do I do with myself now? Uh, What am I feeling? How do I integrate uh, back into slowly, even if it's hybrid? It's It's a difficult situation for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we see that reflected also at Mentium. I've been with them 16 years now, and it's never been more important, really, and more valued, I think, to have that safe space, to have that mentor, which leads me to shift as far as the perspective of, there's a story I just want you to share, basically. So here's Mm -hmm. my question, (laughs) because you shared it before, and I, I so appreciated it. You first joined, as I said at the start, you joined Mentium community years ago as a mentee. And as I, and I happen to be the one to interview you, and I know this is awesome. a small world, right? You were very intentional in knowing that your desire was to be mentored across difference. So the end result was you were matched with an older white male. Yes. And you have shared that you took so much from that partnership, from that you know bridge across difference. So I'd love to hear more about what you did take away from that experience. Oh, absolutely. One, I strongly encourage people who are seeking mentors to understand what you want before you seek a mentor. What are you seeking? What do you hope to give? And be ready to receive what they provide to you, whether it's some impact that maybe some things you're not doing, you could do better. So have that idea. And I did, and I for a couple of reasons. One, as a woman at that time, it was sort of in the corporate world. Uh, I was working for a large association, historically Black association, where there was great opportunities to get receive an African-American mentor within. But I wanted a white, a white male because I was struggling with man speak. Like, why is it that <laughs> I just said something, but if a white man said it, it was suddenly amazing. And I'm like, I just I go, how do you do that? I asked him that. I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> so we talked about manspeak. And he gave me some tips on that. Restating, reinstating again to that individual by saying something as simple as, thank you, Mark, for stating what I previously had shared with the group. I was like, that's simple? Yeah. 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 You restate it out loud to everyone. Yeah. And I was like, never thought about that. And uh <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. And, <laughs> you know, how do I uh, remain calm and centered when uh, historically I, I'm sometimes the only woman, mm. but I'm definitely the only Black woman and yeah. filled with white individuals, but a lot of times it's a large portion of white males. And we talked about, am I intimidating them? You know, and he, he was just really helping me understand how men think in general. So don't let them um, talk to you in a patronizing way, like you're not understanding. You know, you have to say, you know, John, I'm very much aware of what's being covered in today's media. You have to speak to them like a man. It's very strong. And they'll move on. They'll say, okay, she's not the one. So let's move on. (laughs) But he said a certain degree of respect comes with that. They're like, Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, she's she's really positioning herself in a way that lets us know that she's going to be a contributor and someone that we really should ask for an opinion in reference yeah. to something. And not because she's a woman, but because yeah. she's good at what she does. And yeah. so, and then I just wanted an individual who was 
had a very strong financial acumen. I was, you know, a marketer and development person. And of course, revenue, you're always looking for, but I really wanted to get really down into the nitty gritty of it all. And that's what he, you know, he did. He's like, no problem. He's like, let's pull up spreadsheets and let me walk you through it. And then he had me build one. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> but it was great. And he critiqued it and your formula's off in column three. Like to have someone at his level who had a staff to do that for me was invaluable. And so he always strongly encouraged me. And I say the same to others on this call. If you are seeking one or have one, to ask the tough questions, like be vulnerable and say, you know, I really don't know this. This is a safe space because they said yes to being your mentor. To don't get on there and just uh, coast through, but be willing to do the work. And so when he knew that I was willing to do so, I felt like I was back in graduate school. I had to read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I was reading Chicago Crane's business to see who was coming in and out of the market, who was being bought and what mergers were happening, books about innovation and entrepreneurship. I said at the end, am I going to get credits for this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that I have to tell you, it's not for you to have a mentor and sort of sit on the sidelines and they do all the work and impart all of their knowledge. You've got to be willing to put in the time. And when you do that, it is the best relationship that goes both ways. And I asked that now of my own mentee and she does that. She asks me real questions, real life situations. And she always knows that I don't give you the answer. I help walk you through what you think you should do. And I would say, what would you do in that situation? She always nails it because that is not what a mentor is here to do is to say, this is what you should do. We're going to try to help you understand how you get there. Yeah, as a striving, you know, leader uh, who hopes to get to the next level and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I listen to you, you just really fully leveraged this unique opportunity. And you know, we always talk about in the mentoring world that really so much of the power is seeing through different eyes, mm -hmm. and you had such different eyes on five different categories. So. <laughs> I imagine, you know, it was not just educational and interesting, but I'm sure there was times when it was a surprise or an aha, like that's helpful to know. It really was. I was like, wow, you know, like restating your position, letting someone know, no, I understand what is going on. Now. Like, you know, those are things you don't usually do. You're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But being aggressive um, and knowing what that looks like, uh, because also as women and especially as black women, we don't want to come off as like, oh, I don't want to deal with her. She's, you know, she's emotional or she's angry. And so we have a very thin line that we have to walk because someone else can say something. And as women, sometimes we say it, it's like, oh, you know, she's either being too aggressive and you can't mm -hmm. work with her or she's emotional. Is she getting emotional about this? It's black and white. So he helped me with that too, to say, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, there's those, those secret little tidbits that I have since shared with others yes. um, as well. I think when you receive information, it is your duty to impart that information to others. That is the perfect dovetail into my next question, because of course, after you had that mentee experience, you immediately turned around, you began to pass it on uh, mm -hmm. throughout your career uh, with mentoring and also um, really working with a dedication to help others. 
And part of this you shared has been your mission to intentionally work with meaningful organizations to reach out, help marginalized communities. And as you shared, your goal is to overcome the roadblocks that these communities face. So over your years of working with your own mentees and with the communities you've worked with, what have you found that has been most helpful, most valued by them? Do any stories come up or, or things that surprised you? Yeah, well, you know, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Viola Davis, and she says, you cannot be hesitant about who you are. And so when I have made, was intentional about playing a stronger role in organizations that I was a member of. So one of them is Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, which is a national organization, and we have mentorships programs. We're out in the community talking about health, education, all of that and wellness. And so really making the time to do that. It is important that sometimes people in the community see someone that looks like them. And so really making the decision that, okay, X amount of time on a quarterly basis, I'm going to volunteer within the community to ensure people have the opportunity to speak to me, ask me questions. And I feel like, oh, that's safe. I can ask her a question. Uh, I was the first generation person in my family to ever go to college. I used to say all these forks and spoons and knives on the table and all these, but what, is, what do you want me to do? Because in my family, we had a spoon, we had a fork and a knife. So we had all these other things that are on the table. And so offering things like etiquette classes, yeah. help people understand that this is what it means. Because uh, I remember being a freshman and at, a, at a dinner and I just was smart enough to just wait for others to use their utensils to say, oh, okay, still don't know why I make this many forks. But, but really, it's, I have had individuals throughout the years come back to me and say, hey, remember that time we had a talk? I'm like, yeah, well, I decided to major in marketing, or I decided to learn a second language, or I decided to say, hey, you know, I want to see the world. I, I think it's, it's okay. I don't have to do everything in Chicago. I don't have to do everything in the Midwest. Uh, and they said, I've since traveled, I've seen embrace other cultures and be open to not seeing what you see in the media and on TV, but the individuals themselves. I always tell people, ask questions. If you don't know how to pronounce someone's name, please ask them how to pronounce their name. They won't be offended, but they'll be offended if you try to guess <laughs> <laughs> over and over. And especially when they told you your name and you still try to say, well, can I just call you Charlie? No, that's not my name. So that has been helpful. Giving back, showing up. It's not enough to write a check, hmm. which I had done for many years. I'm like, I've written, I'm giving you money, you're getting the scholarships, that's enough. But to show up yeah. is really important to individuals. And so I don't care what race you are or whatever your, your religious background is, find a way that you can give back. And it may not be a lot of hours. It might have been just that one big event that's that on a Saturday and you were there and yeah. you were able to talk to one person. It's fantastic. Once you start, you don't want to stop. So I must warn you, but <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, it's very rewarding. Uh, and I also say always be open for coaching individuals that if you see something and they don't know and you know, pull them to the side and say, hey, I that, you know, this happened to me. Mine was I love perfume. And I would spray so much of it. And a VP 
pulled me to the side and she said, well, I love that fragrance, but she said, you never want to walk into the room and your smell of your perfume is there before you walk in. You <laughs> never want that to happen. I was like, huh, that's what I was sort of hoping for, you know, but I was going to There's that way, but you know, it's just little things like that. And that's I yeah. think important. Yeah. Well, and it's true. You know, I hear from so many mentees and oftentimes mentees, professionals of color, where they don't get enough direct feedback and how much of a gift feedback is, even as you say, you know, feedback that maybe you weren't anticipating, but is really important to know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to understand that it really is a gift and be able to kind of reframe it. Right. 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 Absolutely. So has there been any common themes, things that seem to be most valued with the people that you work with as far as when they come back and you think, huh, I, I wouldn't have anticipated that as being, making such a difference? Yeah, I mean, one, they're always impressed that you even thought I was important enough to <laughs> say that to me. And I'm thinking, really, that you um, felt the need to pull me to the side. And they're not always uh, black individuals could be a woman, could be anyone uh, to, that I see that said, let me help them because someone hasn't told them and someone told me and I was a little uncomfortable about it. But when I thought about it, I thought, hmm, okay. Or, or someone said, hey, you have the opportunity to be able to be great. Mm -hmm. I see that in you already. Whenever I have told people, I see the greatness in you already. And they're like, I don't even see it. But I'm like, and I sort of outline what I see you know, whether it's things that you state in a meeting or uh, the, the, how strong your handshake is, you look people in the eye, you're inquisitive. Uh, those are all great characteristics of strong leaders. And strong leaders are fail. That's mm -hmm. a great characteristic. So when you fail, you learn from it, you adjust and you move on. So, you know, some people think that great leaders sort of don't make mistakes or... Yeah, you feel all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm great. Uh, yeah. You embrace it and you say, okay, I learned from that, let's move on. So it's, yeah, I think people always say, wow, how did you see that in me already? And I, I used to be something and thought that they did. And uh, when I would start doing that, I will, when people come out of meetings and I said something great, whether they're members of my staff or not, I said, you know what? That was a great statement. I'm glad you spoke up. Well done. And they're like, thanks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that is something that for some reason oftentimes isn't expressed. I think people assume that the other person knows that they're strong in this or they did well. And yet, you know, they talk about all the research of what a difference it makes when even one person tells you that, you know, you're good, mm -hmm. they see greatness in you, the resilience that builds. That's very um, true. Very true. Someone did it for me. So yeah. I feel the need to do it for others. Yeah, yeah. All right, so one theme that has been pretty apparent in every question I've been asking you is that you have been really, throughout your career, throughout your life, you have been very intentional in your focus. I would also include your intention to be courageous. And you also have commented to me, you also were very focused on doing the necessary prep work, which really harkens back to when you were a mentee. Yeah. So when you think about some of the main habits that have really helped contribute to your success, would those be some of the things on the list? Oh, absolutely. And what I would add is that to stay consistent, when you've made a plan and you feel uh, very confident and you believe in it, doesn't happen overnight. So stay consistent, keep focused, do the work. I always tell people, do the work. Your next level is waiting for you. But 
we can't often determine what that is. It's going to happen in four weeks. It's going to happen in four months. Just stay consistent. Your next level is waiting for you. Whenever I've looked in my journals, I was like, wow, it took a year. <laughs> <laughs> but I was focused I, and I stayed consistent and it was waiting for it. It was waiting for me. So I always try to, I also tell people that it's important that they create their own tribe. So we all, we all need others who are sometimes not in the room with you. So it might be your VP, it might be someone at a higher level where there are meetings that you're not involved in. And in those meetings, they're oftentimes making decisions about who should lead this uh, initiative, who should be appointed this. You want to make sure that a member of your tribe is in that room who can speak on your behalf, because oftentimes everyone in that room may not know you, depending on how large your organization is. So make sure that is one of the individuals who is a, a member of your tribe. I would say make sure that there's always members of your tribe that are authentic and are going to tell you the truth. Because mm -hmm. when you brought it sort of out of scope, as I call it, I have friends who have been like, mm, I think you were the problem. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, you were the problem that time. <laughs> there was a better way you could have done that. Like, mm, oh, I'm still learning. And I think it's also important that you don't have members of your tribe who are dream crushers. Mm -hmm. people who are telling you can't do that there's no way you can do that and a lot of time they're saying that because they don't have that kind of mentality and so you don't want those people saying don't try to start your own business or what do you mean you got say mm -hmm. no thank you they cannot be a member of your tribe um and so that's those are the only things i would definitely add because people said my own tribe not, yeah your own tribe not your maybe it's not your girlfriends that you go to the spot with but a tribe yeah. who's going to help you strategically get to whatever end goal you might have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting. It's so important, of course, in our careers and where we're working for a lot of different reasons. But it also, uh, I think back to your experience when you were kind of running out of oxygen helping your dad mm -hmm. and how the tribe personally is so important at certain times of reaching out, asking for help, whether it's a doctor or a therapist uh, or a friend. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that's not the first thing that people do. And yet reaching out makes all the difference, right? It sure does. It sure does. So be courageous enough to do so. They want to help you. Yes, exactly. Well, and I love how you frame things like, you know, something's, you know, waiting for you. You know, I just think sometimes the power of words can make such a difference. So that leads me to my last question for you. And um, I already know that you have a couple that came to mind. So I just love quotes. I know you do as well. I do. And I uh, would love to have you share uh, one or two favorite quotes that right now are meaningful to you. Well, I have one, and I remind myself of this all the time. I have it written in a, a journal that I take notes in for work, and it says that a boss has the title, but a leader has the people by Simon Sinek, writes multiple leadership books, and I have to remind myself like that. You know, I definitely try not to get caught up in my title, who I am, but remember, it's the people. Yeah. You should want to see them succeed. You should want to share the work that they've done. And I've learned over the years, I'm like, hmm, I've had a lot of bosses. <laughs> I've had some leaders, but boy, they had a lot of bosses. So I definitely want to be a leader. And I think if you were uh, tapping to my staff, they would say, yeah, she's, a, she's definitely a leader. I also, though it's not a quote, I always remind people who are up and coming leaders to be humble. Um, 
Leaders are a humble, share the success of the team with other team members. That's a strong leader. You're not trying to say, I did all of that. And I think it's it's important to set an example mm-hmm. uh, by being authentic and letting them see, hey, I didn't, I failed on that one. Yeah. It's okay to say that, like, you know, I could have done that better. Even if it was with them, I've, I've gone out to members of my staff and said, I'm going to apologize to you because I did not handle that well. This is how I should have done that. I want to acknowledge that um, and, and let you know that I apologize and I will learn from that. And I haven't had to do that too many times, thank goodness. But when I have, <laughs> staff has said, wow, thanks for saying that. And I was thinking it or whatever. And I said, always, I'm always going to be authentic. And yeah. um, I, I think that goes a long way. I like to say inspire fellow followership. Uh, inspire others to to want to follow you and seek to understand what we're all sort of going through. I always go around to my staff every single day we're in the office and I say, good morning, Tim. How are you doing? And people usually say, I'm fine. But I look at them and I ask them again, how are you doing? And it's usually the second time that they'll say, well, you know, I'm not doing. Okay, I said, take a walk. Make sure you eat lunch today. I'm going to check back with you later. And it's a game changer. Other members of staff go, hey, you check in every morning? Like, if I'm, unless I'm in a meeting, but I'll get to them later to say, how are you doing? Inspiring followership is built that way. Mm-hmm. And find ways to help them meet their goals. I always say, oh, what can I do for you? How can I help you? I know you have the skills to do it. How can I help you? Uh, versus me telling them how I what I think should be done. Yeah, and then collaborating as a leader is very important to collaborate and reach across the, you know, the, the different departments, et cetera, to solve problems because sometimes I don't have the answers, but it's been presented to me and we're going to figure it out. Um, so I reach out to others who I think can inspire and have insight. And my most important thing is never stop learning. Uh-huh. Never stop learning. I learn things all the time. I'm very interested in ballroom dancing right now, but I'm not telling anybody. Tell <laughs> 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 them decent. So I have a lesson set up, um, you know, and uh, there's a certain country that I'm very uh, fascinated with right now that I want to potentially visit next year. So I'm doing all the research now, fully, of course. And so you have to stop learning. It's just so, it's yeah. just, it's great. There's so much that we still need to learn from each other and please continue to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, there's, you just, there was so much in that, that had so much good stuff in what you were just sharing. I will say that every mentor I've ever talked to, you're all continuous learners. You're all curious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an element of it. We have one mentor and he likes to say often, you know, you're either succeeding or you're learning. You know, there it is. Together. There it is. Um, yes. But I also love, you know, just what you were saying as far as all these different best practices of what you try to do. It really does circle us back to the beginning as far as that holistic piece of our professional and our personal well-being and mm-hmm. mental health. The way that you hold that mirror up and reflect back the positive to people, the way you check in. You know, these are things that I think leaders are starting to understand really is essential moving forward is that well-being and mental health. Cause as they say, and I can't remember who said it, but everyone's fighting a, a fight we don't know about. Yeah. In a quiet way often. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Yeah, absolutely. 
Vera, thank you so much for sharing wisdom, this unique perspective, um, your, all the work that you do supporting mental health of others and your own. And also thank you for providing such inspiration on what you can achieve when you are focused and you are very intentional. You make such a difference. Oh, thank you so very much. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining the Mentium Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with friends and colleagues. And if you're interested in additional resources, you can find our show notes on the Mentium website. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to having you join us for our next inspiring conversation.